Hey everyone, Jeff here from besttechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 80. Today I'm speaking with Joseph Ancinelli. He's the CEO and co-founder of Gladly, a company that helps brands like Crate and Barrel, UGG, and Warby Parker improve customer service. He's also a venture partner at Greylock. We discuss what it means to provide great customer service and how companies should be thinking about their customer service experience. Plus, we dive into what entrepreneurs should know about pitching and selling their companies, and a little bit more. Enjoy. I'm here with Joseph Ancinelli, the uh, CEO at a company called Gladly. They are improving customer service around the world just by companies signing up to use their product. It's actually pretty cool. So we're gonna have Joseph talk a little bit about that, but first, Joseph, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Good to see you. I'm really excited about today's episode because customer service is such a thing that's near and dear to me, not just because I'm a customer at many of these companies that use your product, but also because I just I like to help people and customer service is important to me. Um, I want people who listen to you know our podcast here and visit our website to have a good experience, even if they're not directly buying a particular product. I still feel it's important to provide good service when, you know, and engaging with them um, on, you know, on different social platforms. So I come from, I guess you could say a customer service background myself, but I'm curious, let's get started in talking about a little about you and your background. So how did you get started with this? And uh, what do you do on like a day-to-day basis at at Gladly? Sounds good. Um, So, you know, at Gladly as background, we are trying to reinvent customer service, specifically for business to consumer companies, and helping them to deliver on this concept we call radically personal service. And it really stemmed from our just personal experiences and wondering why it was so hard for companies to recognize us as consumers and to engage with us in the same way we engage with people in our personal lives. Like, why is it that the brands that I do business with all the time don't greet me by my name and know all my orders and all that kind of stuff. And we realized that it was not a uh, desire problem or lack of motivation. It was actually a software problem. And the problem is that every other service platform out there treats customer service with cases or tickets. You know, you call, you give you a case number. And I don't know about you, I don't like being treated like a case. I don't want to be a number. (laughs) Yeah, right? Right, exactly, yeah. right. So, and um, and you know, it's funny. I was curious why we use case numbers. It turns out it comes from the legal case file. Like that's leave it to the lawyers, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know you. I don't look to lawyers for relationship advice. Like I just that's not the place that I go. Right. Right. So anyway, so so we thought, hey, what if we could reinvent the software for companies, specifically business to consumer companies, to manage service, and let's make it about people. We said, if we can put people at the center as opposed to a case or a ticket, so a person being the customer, and secondly, build basically a messaging platform, we thought we could help companies build better relationships. And you know, it turns out it's working great. I mean, we've got some amazing customers, whether it's you know, Allbirds and Warby Parker as our customers or other uh, traditional folks in retail like Tory Burch and uh, Ugg and Teva, a bunch of great brands like that. And they're all just, um, sort of reinventing how they deliver service using Gladly. So that's a little about us. And what? So that I mean, like, 
that's the way I feel like it should be, right? I mean, like it's it, it should always be that way, right? Like we shouldn't we should, like how do like we like you pointed out how we got to the the number situation. We we look to the lawyers in terms of figuring out customer service, which apparently who would have thought was a terrible idea, right? <laughs> um, but no, but that's such a great point. Like we need to treat our customers as if they're actually our customers and not just some like dot out in the ether, right? That just kind right. of, right? You know, put a name to that face. Right. And, or put a face to that name or that number as the, or, or both if you're a number. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I, I love, I just love the message behind and what you guys are working on here. I think it's so important. So I want to talk a little bit about you for a second. What, so like, what does your day to day look like? How, how do you spend your time uh, as the CEO of this company? Gladly. Yeah. So um, I would say that it, that most of my time falls into really three main buckets of where I split my time. You know, one is around our team and people. So everything around recruiting, ensuring the team is really engaged and enabled. I, I just have a belief that key to success is people first and strategy second. Mm-hmm. And so you've got the right people in the right place and they understand what they're doing. Like that's job number one for building a successful company. Uh, and then the, the, the second two places that I invest my time is one is around customers. So everything from acquiring new customers, building relationships with customers, making sure customers are successful. I mean, because I think that who your customers are and what they say about you says a lot about you as a company, right? Mm-hmm. Expression, you can tell a lot about someone's by their friends. You can tell a lot about a company <laughs> based on their customers and what they say about you. And then the third is just product um, and product innovation. You know, where are we going with the product? How do we continue to differentiate and innovate? You know, this idea that we had from the beginning of not using cases and tickets and instead using people as the core record, like what are those kinds of things that we continually drive innovation? Um, you know, those are the three places I spend my, most of my time. There's other things like, you know, occasionally raising money, board meetings and all that kind of stuff, but that's all the less fun stuff. <laughs> right yeah right yeah it's <laughs> still important though still it's important. important it's just not where i spend a ton of time right, right. you spend right. the bulk of your time on those first three do you feel as the customer as the uh, i'm sorry as the ceo of a, of a customer service company that's really working on the forefront i think of like thinking about customer service do you feel obligated or or in any way that you need that you and your company to provide exceptional service, like even more exceptional service. <laughs> no question about it. <laughs> I mean, you know, how could you be a customer service software company and not deliver exceptional service? And, and but I think that that's the case, to be honest. No matter what, I mean, yeah. even if you're not doing a customer service company, I think one of the keys to scaling and growing and building a company is you have to make, you got to figure out how to turn your customers into raving fans, mm-hmm. right? Because if you can turn them into raving fans, that builds upon itself in ways that um, also become a competitive advantage. And so I just think that that's one of the keys to successful entrepreneurship. Absolutely. I mean, if you can get your customers or a good chunk of them to advocate for you and to, you know, there, we word of mouth is something we talk about a lot. And like, there's nothing more, there's literally nothing more powerful, nothing more, nothing more powerful, no other way to sell your product in a more powerful way than to have a customer who uses your product and absolutely loves it and tells another person about it because usually here's why for the, for the main reason is usually the situation in which they're talking about it. It comes off very organically 
So it's un, it's unprompted. There's no reason for them to say it other than it just came up in the moment, right? So right. when you get that kind of recommendation from a friend or from someone that you know, it just brings the, the it way to the forefront of your mind. I see you smiling over there. So like, I, I totally agree. <laughs> it's, just, it's 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 100% spot on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm sure I'm sure you didn't just go out and start this company blindly. Um, <laughs> you were also no, we just on a whim, just like, well, let's just go take on Salesforce. You know what? Yeah. The, what, what's yeah. the worst that could happen? Um, right. So, so you were also a venture partner at Greylock, which means that you obviously evaluated a lot of startups in your, uh, when you were, when you spent time there. Uh, one of the things a lot of company early founders do is they talk to a lot of people and they figure out what pain points they're, they're facing in this space and for you as customer service. So I'm curious what kind of questions you asked, what pain points you were looking to solve, uh, what people told you when you started doing that research. Yeah. So what we did before we started is we went and visited, I don't know, 30 or 40 contact centers. So we just reached out to all these companies and just said, look, I'm, you know, a partner at Greylock, we invest in early stage companies. I would love to talk with you. And then I'd love to come see how you, company XYZ deliver service. And we literally went into these contact centers, put on the headsets, listened into phone calls, watched the team do email support and chat and all these other things. <clears throat> and it was those meetings which uh, in, really showed us that the problem with delivering service was primarily a software problem. Because we saw all these companies using these legacy case management and ticketing software tools and how they weren't delivering on this personalized experience. And I mean, I remember I called, I sat in with this one company, the name will be, I won't say the name to protect the innocent. <laughs> uh, uh, and this person called them, they said they wanted XYZ thing. And the person went over to their system to go check on it. And they asked a question, have they ever used that before? And the person's like, I use it all the time. And it was like this very awkward moment in the conversation. And I realized it was because you know, they, they didn't know who this customer was, right? So it was a lot of those just sitting in and watching. And I think having a, a mindset, a very, a growth mindset of the fact that, hey, we could do this differently and we could do it better. And I think that some of the best companies come from ideas that in hindsight look obvious, but oftentimes take someone a little crazy to try something <laughs> that had never been tried before. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, I do. <laughs> you know, so, so, and I, and I think that, you know, seeing it firsthand, it was just invaluable. Um, you just, it, it, you know, you, one, you empathize with these companies that are trying to deliver great service, but all these software companies have just let them down, whether it's Salesforce or Zendesk or whoever. Yeah. And like, I just, okay. So I was, I, I was just was thinking while you were talking cause it was really resonating with me. And I was like, you know, I wish when I called Apple customer service, they actually just knew like a little bit about me before they picked up the phone. Like I, I every time you call, and this is any, anyone, I don't want to nit, just nitpick on Apple, but there are a lot, a lot of companies where, I mean, any company you call, they don't know a thing about you at the get go. You usually end up having to repeat yourself. If you call, if you find yourself calling a few times, you know, if you're a longtime customer, you have to call a few times that, you know, whatever you need customer support, they never know anything about you. When you first call, you have to restate your whole story and how I know about technology. I know I turned it off and turned it on again, <laughs> all that stuff. 
And like, you you know, I, you don't need to coddle me through that, but I, I'm just looking for support. And I feel like I've almost gotten to the point where I have, like, I feel like I have like this little spe- spiel that I kind of <laughs> just like give, like I, to kind of like hint that I know what I'm talking about without actually saying I know what I'm talking about, not to sound like a, a jerk or anything. Um, yeah. But like, it would be great if I just, when I, when I called the customer service line, if they actually knew who I was talking, who, who I was a little bit about me. Right. But, and the problem there is not the people that are delivering service. Like they actually right. are in that job because they care. Yeah, absolutely. The problem is cases. So what happens in these systems is you contact, it creates a case with a number and they give you that number. Then when you call them back, what does it do? It creates another case. So now you've got like two things <laughs> that are storing information. So like, yeah, the first person's in this case and the second person's in the other case, which has nothing in it. That's the idea we have obliterated, mm-hmm. which is instead, it's like, it's Jeff. And Jeff's contacting us. We know who Jeff is. Jeff talked to Joseph last time. We're going to try to get Jeff first back to Joseph. And if not, whoever we match Jeff with, there's just one conversation history from the beginning of time between Jeff and that, that, that brand. This way, everyone is just working off of a single, what we, we call it a single lifelong conversation between you and the company. That's how it should be. That's how it should be. Right. And I, I, yeah. I, it's so shocking to me how that, I'm just glad you came along, Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended when you say you're glad. Right, exactly. No pun intended. <laughs> I honestly didn't mean that. That's funny. That's really funny. Um, oh my God. So I, that's, I mean, this is, this, that's really great. And I think I, I'm really, I'm really glad to hear that someone is working on this problem. It's, it means a lot to me because it just, it forget the fact that it, you know, that it, it helped, it's good for your company. It helps everybody when, when everyone knows who, you know, who they're talking to. And if I, if, and I like the way you phrased it in terms of lifelong conversations, because as a customer, especially a long time customer, you want to be almost, I mean, I feel like I've been an Apple customer since 2008, you know, they don't really acknowledge that, but like some companies do, which is cool. Um, but like they could, and that could make, that could make the experience even that much better. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Apple's better than many others. To be Abs- honest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, but, the, you know, but so. there's always room for improvement, as I'm sure you do. Of course. Yeah. And again, again, it's just, um, it's because the other thing is like our view is that we think to deliver great service for business to consumer companies, the needs are very, very different than delivering service for a business to business company. Meaning if you're Cisco, providing support to, let's say, Bank of America. The tools that you need to deliver service to a B of A are very different than delivering, you know, service if you're a crane barrel to a consumer. And so part of the idea behind Gladly is to really optimize for that business to consumer experience as opposed to taking the same things that big companies use to support other big companies and trying to apply that to consumers. We're like, which is what kind of Salesforce has done. Right. We're like, hey, let's deliver something which is really focused on the business to consumer problem because it's a, you know, it's a $30, $40 billion a year spend. I mean, it's huge and massive and consumer spending is two thirds of the economy and all that good stuff. So, mm-hmm. No, yes, I, I, I agree. I want to talk a little bit about the future of customer service, which we've kind of already been doing, but more yeah. specifically with regard to, you know, the pandemic, which is currently ongoing and then post pandemic, if what kind of changes do you think we're going to see 
and what are we what are we seeing right now in, in, uh, that right. you've seen? Well, one of the big things I think the pandemic has forced taught companies, you can use your <laughs> whatever language <laughs> you want, is that historically service has been looked at as kind of a back office post-sales problem, right? I mean, countless customer service teams literally work in the warehouses of companies. And I think the thing that people now realize is that, you know, digital and their customer support and customer experience teams really are the new flagship store. They drive more revenue than any physical, individual physical retail location. And consumers obviously have made this huge shift to buying things digitally because, you know, retails, physical retail has been effectively closed. And that consumer behavioral shift with this learnings of the brands, I think is it gonna be just a lasting change to how people engage. And I just, and I think that it has just driven home the importance of digital. I mean, the, you've probably seen that graph where, you know, e-commerce as a percentage of retail was yeah. like growing like a point every single year. And then last year, <laughs> you know, went like this, yeah. you know, in like six months did like, you know, 10 years of growth. That shift is not gonna go back. And that's not, going, not we're not going yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. That, Absolutely. that's gonna be a permanent shift. And I think that brands now realize that their customer experience, their customer support teams are more like frontline workers. Yeah. They're like people in your retail store as opposed to some back office support thing. And I think the mindset shift from a cost center to a revenue center, that's a really big deal. Absolutely. And I, I feel like I feel like the shift has been slowly happening. I mean, you see companies, especially startups uh, and, and, and a lot of SaaS based companies, they all talk about customer success teams, right? There, it's all it's not customer service anymore. It's all about customer success and, you know, making sure that you know, getting the getting making sure the customer is getting the most out of the product, which is great. That's how it should be. And, and I think I'm sure once once they get a hand on gladly, that that'll make their job even better. But I mean, these people are frontline. They're, they're, they're your front line. And like it, when, when people go on Twitter, they don't see the CEO's message. They see, you know, Jim's customer service representative, his message and what he's written on, on Twitter, you know? So it's so important that we understand a customer a co companies understand how, how much of a face, you know, those people are because they represent your brand. In the old days, like when when before social media, right, and before like you could really get a hold of someone uh, at, at a company just by tweeting at them uh, or whatever, it was a lot more difficult to to get in touch with companies. I mean, it's still kind of difficult to get in touch with companies to a certain degree, but Twitter has certainly expanded that of uh, option. Um, and prior to that, you know, you didn't have to worry about what your what a customer was saying on on the open web, you know, or anywhere on any social network. And now you do. <laughs> so right, yeah. and, and 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 like if you can track that, if you can say, "Hey, Joseph was kind of, you know, ragging on a particular brand because he wasn't happy with his experience." And you can get that uh in their profile, you know, so they can reach out and perform some kind of remedy. Uh that's so powerful for a brand or a company to be able to do. And I, I just think I, you know, it's, it's just about treating people like, like people, right? Like 
other humans. That's a big idea. <laughs> right? So, like, we're not, you know, I, it comes back to what I was saying before about, it. you know, we're not just some dot out in the ether that's kind of like right. using your product. We're actual people using your product. And, like, um, I, and I think most companies actually are, are excited about that. The fact that they're thrilled that they can communicate with their customers better. So I think that's why I think your product is actually going to be really successful. Um, because just frankly, the mindset, like you said, is totally shifting. You can't just be in the back office kind of like, and these are your, you know, you can't just, just kind of let them do their own thing, you know, um, and, and just, you know, hope they never see the light of day. Um, but that's just not the case anymore. So I really love, I really, I love that message that you just said. Yeah, that's great. So I want to talk a little bit about um, chatbots because we've been talking about human, you know, humanizing and making things more personal. Uh, and I also feel like chatbots have been in the news for a couple of years now. And every time I read about them, oh, they're the next big thing. But I'm curious what your point of view is on this. Um, are chatbots are are, are chatbots are are they are they the future or are they just kind of another tool in the arsenal? Like. What's the are the how relevant are they to the future of customer service? Yeah, I think that they're another tool in the arsenal is the way I think about it. Okay. And maybe to step back even further, I think about when a consumer, when a customer, a consumer, either you know they have a question either pre-sales or post-sales. It doesn't matter, right? Because I I don't think of it just as support being a post-sales thing. Um, I think that we as consumers, uh, one, are we're happy to help ourselves. So like more tools to help consumers help themselves, I think it's just a great thing. So it's help centers and we have this thing called Sidekick, which delivers service like right at the moment on your on, on your site, for example. Th those are really powerful. And if I can cancel my order or change my order or get a refund, et cetera, without having to engage with a human being, I, I as a consumer, totally fine doing that. Yeah. So we think about great service experiences being a blend of both self-service and assisted service and keeping those tied together underneath who you are as a person or as a customer, right? And so chatbots are like one tool within that. And we just think that, and I think even more broadly than just chatbots, I just think about how do you automate and orchestrate communications? Because it might not just be in chat, it might be an SMS, it might be an email response, it might be um, on Twitter or Facebook. like automation can help give a better customer experience by getting people the answer or their help with a question that they're looking for answered more quickly. And I think that if you apply them properly, they should deliver a better experience. I think that some of the challenges with like how people have deployed chatbots is they sort of think about it as this like, as kind of a, a shield or a gate, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, that, that's not helpful. You know what I mean? Like, if you know who someone is and you know that they have an order that's open right now, the ability, like if, even if they call for that matter, like, like we do this now in our IVR, you go, hey, we see that you have an open order. Are you calling about that? Would you like the status of that order? Like, yes. <laughs> please. But if the answer is, yeah, please, like, tell <laughs> me, right? And if the answer is no, that's not why I'm contacting you and I want to just talk to a human being. Great, that should be very seamless, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the way we think about it is automation of communications in the context of delivering a great experience. They're here to stay, and I think it's a great tool. And I think consumers like it, companies benefit from it, but it's one thing. It's not like every conversation is gonna be with a computer. Yeah, yeah.
No, I, I think the blend is definitely the right way to go. I, I actually, I think you answered that beautifully. I have really nothing else to add to that. <laughs> um, I, I So I want to shift gears while, while we can, because I, I obviously I, we, I mentioned you were also a venture partner at Greylock, um, and that's awesome. So I want to talk a little bit about for other founders in the audience, other entrepreneurs, people who maybe are thinking about do, uh, starting their own business. Um, I want to talk a little bit about that kind of stuff. So one of the things that you probably have a lot of experience with is selling companies. Um, I'm sure you've been in deals when it wasn't necessarily your company or you were had invested, you were an investor in a company. So I want to know what should a founder think about when it's time to sell their company and how, and then how should they know that it's time? Because yeah. we, we recently had on uh, Andrew Gazdecki. I don't know if you know him, but he uh, serial founder, and he just launched a, a site called Micro Acquire, and he's uh, building it in public, and it's essentially a site where uh, fa- uh, founders, entrepreneurs, developers can list their projects, whether it be a side project or a business that they run, and then other people can buy them or businesses can buy them. Oh, interesting. And um, so he's already he's already at three hundred thousand dollars monthly recurring or annual recurring revenue, I believe just from launching this site a couple weeks back and, um, which is pretty crazy. So we, we had him on and, and he, and, uh, and he shared some thoughts on that, which I thought were great, but I want to hear what you have to say when, when we should, when people should consider selling. Yeah. So first of all, um, I don't think there's such a, such thing as an exit strategy. Okay. I, I, I just don't think there is that. I, I've never started a company with an exit strategy in mind. I think the only thing you can do is have a success strategy. So you should always start the company with the plan that you're going to make the thing successful and be independent. And when you, if you're doing that, there will be moments where someone realizes that you're being successful and they're going to come knock on your door. Like that's like <laughs> the, like that's the, the best case scenario, right? right. right? And I think in that moment, you have to evaluate where you think the company can be and how long you can go and how big the market is. And you can you know, decide to engage in those conversations or not. And I've been through the process of being involved in taking a company public personally that I was involved in, meaning I was you know, part of, and also selling a company. Like I sold my, my company, my last company to Symantec for $350 million and like, it was right in 2007, the financial, like the markets were crazy. And it, and it turns out that business now is like an $800 million a year business, a part of what was semantic. So I probably shouldn't have sold the company. But in that moment, we were having a really hard time expanding outside of the US. And we were not convinced because it was a whole new technology in the security space. We weren't convinced that there was going to be a big enough market at the time, and I was very nervous about that. So in that moment, I said, probably best to sell the company at this point. So you have to sort of evaluate the market risk, the product risk, the competitive landscape um, in those moments um, to decide if it's the best thing. And you, you only know in hindsight You're right. if it's the right answer. <laughs> so that's the problem with that decision. It's really not a, oh, right. I know this is the right decision. It's almost like... Like in that case, it was it was a great outcome. I mean, don't get me wrong, but it was clear that there was so much more in front of us that the year, the, the thing of being able to sell internationally eventually got solved a couple of years later, mm-hmm. and you know went out to be a big thing. But 
you just have to sort of evaluate those things, market risk, product risk, competitive risk. Yeah, so. I, I, I want to, I have a couple, two things I want to touch on. One, I love the idea of not having an exit strategy because if you go in with it, with the idea that you're going to sell, you almost set yourself up for failure most likely. Uh, because I'm, I'm a huge fan of manifesting kind of success and like things like that. And you have to go in there thinking it's going to succeed. You have to believe in that. If you don't think that, you don't think that that's that the that the ultimate outcome is whatever. If you're just planning on just building it to sell that you just that's the wrong intention to go in with. <laughs> so don't right. do that. So my, my my second thing is I want to ask you then is there is there a is there a time or a thing when it's not, when you when you should not sell your company when, or when you when you uh, uh when again yeah. again you don't you never know yeah except in hindsight right so I like I, I you know I'll share a very public story like you know like Yahoo tried to buy Facebook like for a billion dollars right right it was clear that the decision <laughs> not to sell was, was a pretty good one I mean, right the company's worth seven hundred or whatever eight hundred billion dollars like. That was the right decision. Instagram did get bought for a billion dollars by Facebook. Was that the right decision? I don't know, actually. Like it's that's know, still Instagram that's tough. Decision. People are still debating yeah. that today, you know? So Yeah. So, you know, you don't really you know, it's it's hard to know in hindsight if it's the right decision or not. Um, you know, you just have to be happy with the decision. Yeah, when you make it, does that make sense? It does make sense. And, yeah, and of course, there's there's always situations where like the business isn't working. That's easier. Yeah, right. Um, that's an easier decision to say, hey, this isn't quite working. So if I can get the thing to be someplace else, and it makes it, that's an easier. It's when you're actually seeing success, and you have to make the decision. That's where it's really hard. <laughs> I'd I'd imagine so. I mean, that sounds like the situation you were in 2007, from what you described, and like. You just, you know, you just weren't sure whether you would have that expansion capability. And obviously right. selling, I mean, there's no guarantee, even though that you, if you didn't sell that you would have, that you would find the success that Symantec has had, because they're a large organization, I would imagine. And um, they have more resources to throw out the problem for a period of time till they could figure it out, which, you know, but, but even still, I, I totally hear your point, And I think that that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I want to ask also about selling because this, I mean, you're also, a, we're a venture investor, so you might, you probably, I know you have some advice on this, especially for people selling for businesses for the first time. Mm -hmm. What, like, what kind of negotiating tactics should they be, be aware of um, when someone, like, how do you know something's a good offer? Uh, obviously, you have your own kind of inter internal analysis, I'd imagine, at, um, at your company when they're coming in terms of valuation and things like that. Um, but, you know, if they come with you with, let's say you're worth, let's say you're valued at a, a billion, uh, let's say you're valued at a, a $1 million and they come in and they say, we'll give you 10. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but you want to get 20, you know, like, so what kind of tactics can you use to kind of do that kind of thing? And, and yeah. that, that, so that's kind of my question. Let's start with that. So first, I think that the best outcomes are when companies are bought, not sold. Yes, I'd agree with that. <laughs> right? which, mean, which means that you want to have, you know, multiple potential buyers. Because that, because you're the only, you know, if you're the only thing to get bought, 
you know, the more people bidding, it's just supply and demand, right? Yep. There's, there's yep. one supply and there's more demand and that, that helps a lot. So for example, you know, this was not planned, but this happened. I remember we were negotiating with Symantec <laughs> when we did that deal. And I was literally, literally in the lawyer's conference room with the Symantec people. And one of them was sitting next to me and my phone was facing up. And is that, is that, a, is that a, the, it's a bad idea? So never have your phone facing up. Well, this actually was good because oh, okay. it was the CEO of a competitor of theirs <laughs> calling me. <laughs> and I joked, I said, I, I turned to the, to the head of the corporate strategy team at Mythic or whatever, and I said, should I get that? Should I answer that? <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I mean, you know, like, you know you get, it was not planned, obviously. That's so like this though. idea that, you know, that your company's gonna get, like, that, like you have alternatives is like the best way, right? Because yeah. the more data that you get, the more potential acquirers, the more people that are interested in buying you, you'll get to a market price, right? Yeah. And that's, I think, the key um, to figuring that kind of stuff out. Um, but, you know, but, but like barring that, I mean, you, know, you also got to be comfortable with what's the number in your head that you're yeah. comfortable with and balancing those two things. Yeah. And then there's obviously also earnouts and things like that that you have to take into account, assuming that you, you're lucky enough to get something like that. Um, but yeah, like I, I think that makes sense. And, you know, I, I, it's funny that we started with uh, selling. I, we should have started with, with starting, but we're going to get to that just right now. So it's okay. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. I got it covered. Uh, <laughs> um, so Everybody wants to focus on the outcome. Yeah, everyone, everyone, I mean, <laughs> selling, that, that's, that's the magic. Like, that's like, that's the, you know, the dream, right? Um, and some people, some people, or going public uh, is another thing, you know, or just running a successful business. Uh, you know, if you're not looking for venture money, but you know, you just want to build a successful, right. what, what they call lifestyle business, which is still can be hugely successful and make you hugely wealthy. Um, but anyway, so let's say you are a founder, you're looking to start a business or you're looking to raise money. You have a, you have an MVP, you have a product or that you started to get some traction with, you have customers. Um, what should be in your pitch deck? If I'm pitching you, what would you want to see? I think that there's several things that are important. Um, first, at that stage, m most investors are are making a decision about who you are. So they're betting on you, right. right? Yeah, you might have a product, it's got some, a little bit of traction, et cetera, but they're really making a decision of are we, are we backing this person in this team, right? And as part of that, it's useful to always look and say, what is some unique insight that this team or people have that makes what they're doing even more interesting, right? Um, uh, so, like, so that's so there's, there's an element there of who you are and like what your insight is. I think that um, understanding the that what's what's like what's possible, what's the what's the amazingly big crazy. This is again mostly thinking about venture investing. What's the art of what could be possible? that your MVP might not necessarily be showing, but it's like, hey, this could lead to this. Mm -hmm. And understanding that potential, right? Meaning, and how something could, could, could potentially be very, very big. It's very hard to know exactly how that's gonna happen or why that's gonna happen, but knowing that there's like, oh, wow, like it's, some people refer to this as, what's the glimmer of greatness? Like, is there some glimmer of greatness in this early thing that you got, you know, the diamond in the rough, so to speak? <laughs> I think that's really important um, because people want to know that. So it's that combination of 
the people and the, you know, the potential market opportunity and the product and how that could go into something really amazing. Like figuring out how to tell that story is really key at that very, very early stage. Absolutely. I mean, narr- narr- the narrative that you're telling as an entrepreneur is everything. That's how you get, that's how you hook people. That's how you hook investors. That's how you hook early employees, how you hook early customers. It's the art of what's possible, right? It's the mm-hmm. art of, you know, here's my idea. Here's my vision. You know, do you, do you buy into it? Will you run, will you run with it with me? And it's, and if you're a good founder, it's, you can, it's, it's not easy, but you, but you there are ways you can definitely explain your story in a way that resonates with people. So like, what, like, are there, what do you, if I were to pitch something to you, what, you know, are there particular, uh, things I should be highlighting that, you know, obviously to show how strong my team is and my experience and why I'm the right person for this particular company. Yeah, I mean, I think it, like, um, the early, I, I, I mean, I think <laughs> some simple things people don't always do, like starting up front with like, what is the idea? It's like really important. Like just start up front. Like don't, don't, don't make me wait for it. Right? That, that's one of my <laughs> most frustrating things. Like, what are you doing? Right. We're trying to reinvent customer service and we're going to center it around people and this idea of moving away from cases and tickets to one that delivers radically personal service. Like, okay. I kind of understand the big my idea. curiosity now. now. Yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> so I think that that's really important. And I think the, the, you know, sharing the anecdotes and the stories and giving data to necessary, if you have it, to back up those anecdotes and stories. Cause you do want to get people both their right brain and their left brain. Mm-hmm. Like I think that the best, the best storytellers do that, right? They get your, both your head and your heart. And so if you can, if you can capture the essence of that story of kept and getting their, both their hearts and their minds, um, then that's really, really key. And I think that comes from, if you have an MVP, here's some of the metrics. And here's the story of, you know, Jane and what she told us, right? So you kind of balance both of those things. I think that's really important, especially in the early stage, because you don't have a ton to go on at that point. Right, right. You know what I mean? So I'm curious. I'm curious. So I've been talking a lot about this app and I'm curious. I I, I would love to get your thoughts real quick before we get to the lightning round. That's been great talking with you, Joseph. Um, I've honestly had a lot of fun and also I hope you have (laughs) just learned. It's been great. I learned (laughs) so much uh, just by speaking with you. So I appreciate you taking the time. I'm sure our audience uh, does as well. So my question is, are you on Clubhouse? And uh, if not, do you want an invite? (laughs) So I just got on. Oh, nice. Ago. Okay. Uh, so yes. So I'm good. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I'm curious. Um, I'll have to give you a follow on there, but I'm curious. Uh, so Clubhouse is an interesting app to me because it's, it's, and, and since you were on the venture side, I figured I'd just throw this your way. I know we hadn't really planned this, but um, Club, Clubhouse is a very interesting app for me because I've seen firsthand, I've been on it for since middle of January now. And it it has the potential to revolutionize the way we communicate with one another. And I'm not just saying that just to say, it. I actually truly believe it having been on the app and spent 33 hours one week on the app, which is almost as much as a full-time job. So in addition to what I was working on, I was also spending 33. I don't know. I, I didn't sleep much that week, but uh, <laughs> um, you're binge listening. Yeah, exactly. So uh, just the way that people can engage with one another and, the, the, the actual 
just course of conversation and 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 and, and just people treating each other as other humans, which is what we kind of talked about with customer service. Another reason why I'm bringing this up. I'm curious whether, you know, what, what, what you see in the platform as from a, from a venture investor kind of perspective and also from your personal perspective. Yeah. I mean, it's clear we're living through a period of technical, techno, technological innovation that is just breaking down the barriers for people to access and connect with other people, right? I mean, Twitter did it with text. Yeah. This idea that I can hear directly from other people through text and also engage, if they would like, in dialogue in 240 characters originally or whatever it was. Um, you know, it's clear that we're just going through a transformation of that. And like just the fact that you and I are having a high quality video conversation through software on a run of the mill computer. Like that was really hard to do. I mean, what people used to do is I'd have to go to the studio and I would have to get on the equipment and all. that's all gone, right? Yeah. And I think that, you know, Clubhouse is an example of the power of audio in the same way that, you know, podcasts have seen this, as you know, <laughs> this, you know, just huge resurgence of like that, like recorded voice as a channel. I think that, you know, Clubhouse is doing a similar thing for that live audio uh, consumption and engagement that's, also can be two-way. And I think that that's really powerful. And I think that, um, you know, we're just going to continue to see more and more things like that. And, uh, you know, Clubhouse seems quite interesting and, you know, it's very early in its journey and I hope they're wild and successful. We're, we're not investors in it. Um, but um, uh, it's just fascinating, this idea of you no longer have the physical as a barrier to connect with people. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that is hitting everything, every single medium for how we communicate, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. We communicate and Clubhouse is the latest example of that. And just, I mean, I've seen so many interesting and like really thoughtful rooms on the, on the platform and just people having really interesting conversations with one another. And, and it's, it's, it's more than just like it's you. I, you can tell it's not just going to end up being a tool that marketers end up on, right? I, I, I truly feel that way. I, I feel like there's a lot more to it than that. Um, and so yeah, I I, I agree. I, I'm going to definitely have to check and follow you on on, on uh, Clubhouse. And <laughs> I haven't actually had any conversations yet. I've mostly been listening. <laughs> oh well, that's that's okay. Maybe we can get you on the South Florida Entrepreneur Club, and you can share some of your stories with uh, the club there. Love to do that. That would be That'd awesome. Be great. So yeah, so so Joseph, you made it through all the way the conversation. We are now at the point of the podcast where we do the lightning round. Uh, so when you're ready, let me know and we'll get started. Okay, should I be nervous about this? Uh, I hope not. <laughs> okay, all right. How many how many questions is it? I just need to prepare. prepare it's five prepare questions. Myself. Five questions. Okay, cool. That's five all five I can questions. tell you. Lightning round. All right, here we go. All right. <laughs> <laughs> here we go. Here we go. If you could travel back in time and make only a single investment, what would it be? Zoom. Zoom? Nice. What word do you always misspell? So my last name when I'm typing in a spell checker always comes up as insanely. That's funny. I get that's I bet that's annoying though. 
Well, then I have to make sure I add. Yeah, it. and then you add it. You add it to the dictionary. It. Then it's okay. <laughs> right, I've right. Literally written something, Joseph insanely. Like, I, I, you know, you should just like, change your name. <laughs> <laughs> if you could shop for free at one store, what would you choose? REI. I just I just bought a bike helmet from REI. They're I, yeah. they just opened one down the block for me. I'm really excited about it. iOS. So much gear. Yeah, Sorry. iOS or Android. Clearly iOS because you're on Clubhouse. <laughs> All right, last one. I I hope I hope I I hope. Well, we'll see. What would you ever go skydiving? No. Yeah, you know, I don't really have that that like urge to go skydiving either. But I I I I wouldn't rule it out. But I don't think I don't I don't think I just like don't have the feeling to do it. I have a huge fear of falling. Like when I like if I'm like on like a ledge or something. I mean I'm like freaked out like if you went to the top of the empire state building it would be a little freaky i'm actually okay as long as i don't feel like it oh okay 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 okay. the empire state building right so like they have a glass i'm like totally safe (laughs) but if you took you got rid of the railing in the glass i'd be like on my hands and knees like no 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 like and some people said like you should go skydive because i get over it but it's just life is i mean i i've broken my back twice already you don't need to go skydiving from mountain biking and that kind of stuff like (laughs) skydiving like you know, like if it doesn't work, it, it it's doesn't really work. bad. You know, <laughs> it's it's really it's bad. Really bad. It's really bad. Yeah, you, know? you, you don't want it not to work. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so why okay. take the chance, right? Yeah, absolutely. My lightning round of you: Beatles or Elvis? Beatles, for sure. I'm just checking. All right. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We can still be friends. <laughs> Okay. I'm good with that too. Oh, okay, that. okay, okay, awesome. Well, Joseph, I man, I really enjoyed having you on. It's been a lot of fun. We learned a lot today, and I'm really excited about what you're doing. If anyone who's listening wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, obviously, you can learn about Gladly at gladly.com. Really easy to remember that. <laughs> and if people want to reach out to me, it's just um, Joseph at gladly.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Joseph. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting our podcast at anchor.fm slash best techie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.